Yeah, yeah, like officially I hit the button. Like we're we're live. <laughs> nice, man. How you doing? I'm well, bro. I'm well. Yeah, thanks for asking, man. Nice. About yourself. Absolutely. Man, you know, all right. I'm doing all right. Excellent. Excellent. It's uh I'm I'm glad we're here. I'm glad we could do this, man. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, thank you for being here. For sure, bro. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, we tried to make this happen Absolutely. a while ago, but here we are. <laughs> here we are. You know, as as long as it it uh as long as it comes together in the end. Yes. Facts. Flame. <laughs> yeah. Dude, I love your music. Thank you, my I love guess, your music. I know people probably tell you that all the time, but <laughs> hey, I, I love, love to hear music. it, man. Seriously. Now that's encouraging, man. Because uh, it's funny because you write the music in obscurity and then you kind of just send it out there, cast the net wide. Right. So to hear it back is always encouraging because you just, you never know. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it's like that with any kind of creative art, right? Like you, you have the idea and you kind of put it together and yeah. you just sort of show it to the world, right? I made this thing. Yep. Um, yep. How do you feel about it? <laughs> <laughs> and it's very vulnerable too, because it's um, mm-hmm. one, you're, you're trying to trust your instincts and the way something mm-hmm. appeared in your mind you're hoping that it translated out here, you know? So yes, yeah, a vulnerable yeah. process, man. <laughs> it is, yep. it is, but I don't know. It's kind of what makes art worthwhile, right? Like yes. non-vulnerable corporate attempts at art are always the same sanitized, yeah. not very good. You know what I mean? Like it'll get you on the charts for a couple of weeks, I guess, but like, yep. very true. you know? Yeah. That's a good um, point. Because Yeah. I love it. No, go ahead. Now I'm just rambling on, just thinking about that. I mean, it's, it's, uh, yeah. When, when, when people find something that works, the temptation is to stick to it because it becomes mm-hmm. a program, a cookie cutter. But like you said, to get outside of that and to continue to push and press for something new or at least a new yeah. approach to something old. Yeah. More risk is involved. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, uh, one of one of my favorite bands of all time is the showdown uh i loved them they were great uh nice. heavy metal christian band yeah. and their first album was like metalcore like real i don't know metalcore but then their second album was like a country album mm okay and uh they just they just changed like every album was a little bit different Wow. And I remember I reached out to him one time and was like, Hey, this, like this country album, like, it's great. It's a, it's a great <laughs> album, but it's just not what I was expecting. Right. <laughs> and, uh, their lead singer wrote me back and said, we never want to make the same album twice. And I mean, they mm. took that like to an extreme. They didn't even stay in their own genre yeah. with each album, but it, like, it was, I don't know, man, like that's what it is. Art is that kind of risk, right? That it is. It is. And it's tricky too, because there. as the artist, you, um, you know, you have to stay inspired. You ha- it has to still be mm-hmm. fun for you. So a lot of times right. that switch up is for the artists themselves to find something exciting about it again, or to kind of rediscover that childlike thing that drew you to it in the first place. Yeah. You have to keep exploring. But then, like you said, the fan base is like, wait, we fell in love with you for this reason. So come back. Yeah. So sometimes it's that dance between the audience and the artists themselves. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's, it's, and it's especially if, if you make your living doing that, right. There's that compounded pressure of like, yes. I want to do something original and fun, but also like I got to make rent. Yeah. So nice. <laughs> yeah, that's why I love it. I love it. 
I'm glad I'm glad we actually kind of just sort of fell into this. Um, because like I don't know if people know, but I hit the record button just like right away. I love it. That's how you do it. And like this is the this is the actual conversation <laughs> we've had. We've never spoken before what people are hearing. Yeah, right. And I'm glad we fell into it kind of organically because that was sort of I know when we had first talked about setting this up, we were talking about like what it was like to become a Lutheran and on, but I I really I wanted to ask you a question and I don't want this to like be offensive. Uh but like a lot of Christian music is really lame across the board, but like your music is not. And so that's why I wanted to ask you about it. Like, why, why do you think, what do you think it is that like Christian artists struggle with? Like, yeah, that's that's a great question, bro. Yeah. It's unfortunate too, because the irony is that I am a Christian rapper because when I first was exposed to Christian rap, um, it was a group called the Firefighters. And uh, it was just okay. these two white guys, man. And uh, they had this song okay, called great. God Made Sex. <laughs> Literally. So the song was like, God made sex. God made sex. And I was like... <laughs> That is literally the worst song I've heard in my life. And uh, <laughs> I said, this is your music, God. I was like, I want nothing to do with you or your artist. And uh, <laughs> so, I mean, but shout out to those guys in the sense that they were trying to, you know, connect God's message with a relevant format. So I'm mm-hmm. not I'm not throwing them under the bus, but I'm just saying when it hit my ears, it sounded so foreign to what I was naturally enjoying in rap culture. So like you said, sometimes when art meets faith, for some reason, it loses something. And, um, you know, so in my experience, big hat tip to a group by the name of Cross Movement, they were kind of the forerunners um, in Christian rap. And one of their goals was to maintain in high, uh, a high artistic expectation. So they valued the Mm -hmm. arts. They wanted it to still be beautiful, to sound good, the packaging, the marketing, the presentation. They wanted to care about each one of those steps. And just as a young artist, that was already important to me. And then when I met them, they reinforced that. So, yeah, I give them a lot of credit. I think um, just hip hop culture in general is very, uh, very blunt, very black and white. So they're going to tell you if this is good or bad. So just that expectation already from the rap listener it's just a healthy pressure that the artist feels. And uh, so, yeah, maybe that combination of things kind of put the pressure on me in a healthy way to care about each step to make sure that the art was yeah. consistent with the message as much as I could, you know? Do you think it's, do you think like, because like, as I'm thinking about it, it's not just like that, like Christian rap is lame or Christian rock is lame, but like even into like movies you know what i mean like when you think about like christian specific films which is just it's another genre of art right it's another putting yourself out there kind of art do you think you said something um you're trying to trying to take the 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 god's words and put them into a relevant format i i guess like the way to describe it is like a lot of a lot of musicians 
it's like they're trying to ape the musical form and just sort of like put like, oh, this is kind of what rap is like, or this is kind of what rock is like, or this is kind of what movies are like. So let me take what like my interpretation of this and just like shove some Bible sound and stuff in there and see if we can't, you know, in, in the attempt to be not to the attempt is to be relevant more yeah. than right. More than anything else. It's to be like with it, you know, with the, with the kids or whatever, you know, and not, not to make good necessarily good music first or spread the gospel first, but to just be relevant. Yeah. That's you know? a great point, bro. I, I think it's layered. I think it's multi-layered. So one, I would say um, there's a sense in which, Sometimes the people that are motivated to get the work done may not even be um, in that field. So, so I think about film. Mm. Sometimes the people that will jump into a, the Christian film market, they just had the idea, but they don't really have the experience or the background. Right. But they may have the energy. So they, they have the personality that can curate income, camera crew. And, you know, sometimes the quality suffers because it's not there you know, their field of interest primarily. Right. So you got that. Then you have the financial aspect where it's, um, you know, there, there aren't big budgets for these sub, sub, sub genres. So then people end up cutting a lot of corners for the sake of the message. You have that component. Right. So I think it is multi-layered, but, but you're right. I, I, I think if, if it was more people that cared about the art itself, that understood the genre, like, okay, film takes these necessary components to make a good movie. If they knew those things right. out the gate, they cared about it. They can have a smaller budget and still make something quality because they understand the art of it. They understand the science behind it. Right. But if you're just novel, just jumping into it with a good heart. I mean, you know, that's a good effort, but yeah, the, it's great. It's going yeah, to suffer on the back end. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Facts, that's bro. awesome. So, so what's your what's your main focus then when you're when you're putting together an album? I noticed the last uh, the three have been really thematic. Um, yeah. We're kind of following a trend. Is that yeah. how far in advance do you plan that kind of thing? And do you how do you take me through the process? Yeah, for sure, bro. It's definitely thought out. So one of the things I set out to do was to start a series. So I titled it the extra notes mm -hmm. series, which is just the Latin phrase that means outside of us. Right. And mm -hmm. um, so I was like, man, I want to unpack Lutheran thought in these short, sweet packaging um, a, a EP, which is a short project. And I want to explain justification by faith through the Lutheran reformation, which for my audience is new information because coming from the reformed okay. Baptist side of the reformation, we're very, they were very um, kind towards Luther and championed mm -hmm. justification by faith. However, what they keep at bay or the sacramental realities that go right alongside of justification by faith. And um, they sort of borrow Luther for the bondage of the will and then kind of tuck them under mm -hmm. the carpet. And then on we go with John Calvin as the true victor of the Reformation. And yeah. uh, so being exposed to those things, I was like, man, I think people would benefit from knowing more history behind the Reformation as opposed to what mm -hmm. we were indoctrinated to think about it. So that was the first goal. 
And then the second goal was the artistic aspect. Like, but I have to make this sound good. I have to make this look good. And, and the mood of it has to feel inviting so people can let down their intellectual guard and allow new information to sort of seep through the mind, through the imagination. Mm-hmm. So that's where the art comes in because typically people put a wall up to new ideas, just raw intellect. So that's where the arts and the yeah. imagination comes in. Cause it's like this pathway that people oftentimes let their guard down and we'll just, we'll enjoy a song that talks about demons and killing people. If it sounds good, because the imagination right. is like, wow, this is fun. I'm exploring. I'm, you know, I'm in this, mm-hmm. this place. I, sh- I know I shouldn't be, but it's, it's so exciting and stimulating. And that's what the imagination allows to happen. So I wanted to use that in a way I feel like God intended for good to, 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 to mm-hmm. present what I call uh, edutainment to educate through entertainment. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, it's like, we're going to trick them into it and that's good. That's yeah. Fine. Yeah. You, what they say, you got to put the, um, the, the medicine in the candy, so to speak. Yeah. 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 hundred percent. hundred percent. Yeah. So, and you mentioned, you mentioned like the way the reform view Luther, I've said this enough times on this podcast and I'm sure my regular listeners are going to get tired of it, but like reformed are really good. They're really good at like loving Luther and quoting Luther and all in it. They're really great on Luther right up until it's time to like take Luther seriously. Right. And like actually (laughs) read Luther and, you know, and then it's like, uh, I remember telling my brother, he's a, he's a Baptist. And I told him, I said, uh, I said, you know, I've been listening to a lot of Sproul and all this, and he quotes Luther a lot. And I've been thinking about, you know, I, I think I'm going to read some Luther. And he said, oh, no, no, no. Luther's weird. You don't want to read Luther. <laughs> you know, and that's kind of. <laughs> like it's true. It's the strangest thing, bro. Like, for example, um, a friend of mine pointed out he's at a reformed church. And uh, so there are a cluster of people at his church that have this narrative that since I've become Lutheran, I've left Christianity. And um, he was was saying the irony is they were celebrating the 500 year of the Reformation. So, (laughs) so he brought it up like, wait, (laughs) so, (laughs) so we have a service where we're celebrating the 500 year of the Reformation and flames a Lutheran, the guy we're celebrating, but you think because he's a Lutheran, he's an apostate? He's just yeah. like scratching his head, like, what kind of set of arrangement it's, of ideas is this? <laughs> <laughs> it's wild. It's it it's yeah. wild. I I'm I and even even like I mean, I guess, yeah, with the reform dick. It shows it, but like even other Protestants in general, like, you know, my whole family, they're like Southern Baptist or, or Pentecostal Methodist, mm-hmm. that kind of, you know, other, other branch of it. Yeah. And even they, you know, I tell them I'm a Lutheran and they're always like, kind of like, what? <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's <laughs> you true. know, like, and, and a lot of people too, when they think, when they think Lutheran, they think like Nadia Boltz Weber. So like, that's like, that's a whole other can of worms. <laughs> true, true, true. That's that facts. That's facts. It. Yeah. And I, you know, uh, part of it, I, I, I attribute it to, I call it um, intellectual fatigue. Like I think a lot yeah. of people that are, that are being confronted with these things, they've given their teen years in their twenties 
to formulating their theological perspective. So they gave those, they gave those mm-hmm. years to learning Calvinistic thought, the five point tulip. And they had to wrestle with that. Most people coming from an Armenian background and it took so much energy to move throughout the scriptures and then to understand them the way the, ref- the Calvinistic reformers did. Or if it's not a reformed background, then like you said, maybe they're just from a generic American church and they've given the, those those years where you have a lot of freedom, a lot of time to read and to study, they've given those years to understanding Christianity another way. So now mm. asking people to think clearly, to slow down, to reconsider, mm-hmm. it's just tiring. And they don't have the space, the mental space, the physical space in their lives to do it. And they feel like Christianity is already working for me. Why try to, you know, do anything yeah. different? And uh, so I, I certainly get that because we're busy. Everybody's busy. But my appeal is always, I mean, you know, to the extent that we care about the Bible and um, and to the extent that I know all of us as humans struggle with insecurities and doubts of our faith mm-hmm. and fear. If those are realities that we all experience, why not hear more from the Lutheran contribution, the ancient church in ways that comforted them? Maybe we can benefit from it. That's my appeal. I know you're struggling with these things. So let's see what the Bible has to say. And Luther really helped us do that. So why not? Mm -hmm. Yeah. My, uh, my always, my first thought whenever these like, like a crisis of faith, faith comes up for me. My first thought is always like, okay, well, I'm not the first person in 2000 years to, to have this specific thought, fear, doubt. So let me yeah. figure out who else has thought this way and, you know, what, it, what conclusions did they come to? Yeah. I, I think, love that. I think some of it, some of the reluctance is also probably like social pressure, right? Mm-hmm. Cause like all my friends are reformed. All my family's reformed. I've spent so much time, especially as a cage stage Calvinist spouting off about what I believe on Facebook or whatever. And like now I can't, I, I can't. I've painted myself into a corner. I can't reconsider my beliefs at this point. Right. Like, yes. And yes. I don't know. Well, like, did, when you, when you went through it, how did you overcome that? Yeah. I think, I think my personality serves me in that. Um, I feel a sense of obligation to be authentic. I, I, it's hard for me to sleep okay. at night. Sort of hiding what's in my head. So I would have felt very uncomfortable still navigating throughout my Calvinistic circle, doing concerts, speaking engagements, and sort of pretending to still be a Reformed Baptist Calvinist. That just would have troubled me to the point where it would have been unbearable. So my personality Mm -hmm. definitely serves me there. Um, Yeah. And then also, ultimately, I would say it's the joy and the reality of the peace that these teachings brought to me. So I yeah. know from influential pastors down to lay people, like I've been at the water cooler hearing the real on the ground struggles of trying to live out a set of teachings that says, yes, we're justified by faith alone, but Jesus did not die for everyone without exception. He only died for a limited amount of people, right? So I hear the conversations. I've been in the accountability groups. I've been in the spaces where people are conflicted by those two teachings, because on one side, you affirm that we're all justified by faith alone. 
But on the other side, you affirm that Jesus didn't die for everyone. So now you're stuck because you're like, well, how do I know I'm one of the people Jesus actually died for? And the way that usually plays out is you have to look within to have enough sincerity to have what Jonathan Edwards says, the affections of God. You have to look at your Mm -hmm. own fruit to make sure you're performing up to a certain degree, like some Ivy League level sanctification to truly prove to yourself that you're actually one of the elect. And eventually that becomes tiring, exhausting. You start to see your own hypocrisy, your own hip, um, um, inconsistencies, and that begins to weigh you down. And then you oftentimes struggle with even leaving Christianity. So I've, I've just been around it. I've experienced it on a personal level. I hear people's laments and cries in that space. And my ultimate thing was to say, hey, I found more ground for us to walk on. I know we hit a fork in the road and we all felt stuck, but here's some things to consider that will allow us to continue to walk down the Christian path, the sacraments, justification by faith alone that runs alongside of what God is doing outside of us, as opposed to these deep dives looking within to find something. And it's dark down there, man, trying to plumb the depth of your own soul. You know (laughs) what I'm saying? It's dark down there. It's difficult to see, you know? (laughs) I always gave up really quick. I always like, you know, just like, oh, and I I don't know, man, like my first two or three months as a Lutheran, I can go back and look at my text to my own pastor, Joe. And like the first two or three months worth of text to this guy were like, how can God love me? How can anyone love me? And his responses back were always like, just stop it. <laughs> stop. <laughs> yeah. Look at the cross. You're, you're looking in the wrong, you know, look over here at Jesus and stop yeah. looking at Remy. Cause it ain't, you know, you're not going to find anything where you're looking. That's very true. It's and people, wild. People are afraid that if, if the pastor says that, then that's going to throw us into some licentious life where we're just going to be right barbaric, you know what I'm saying? And just be out here as hedonist. And, you know, I guess that's a typical fear in a world where you have to prove yourself at every point. If you want good grades, you got to work hard to earn them. If you want the Mm -hmm. payment at your job, you got to work hard to earn the payment. So that's how we most naturally function. So we're afraid that if we tell people we're free in Christ, they're going to, you know, just do whatever they want. Um, And I get that fear, but the beautiful thing about the gospel is Romans 4, God's goodness should lead men to repentance. There's something supernatural that happens when God pours his kindness on us. It it inspires us to want to live consistently with what makes him happy. And as we're doing that and we're discovering this joy in living for God and then we stumble in many ways, we have the forgiveness after the law is put his, his heavy hand on us, we have this forgiveness that brings us back to life. So even distinctions like the law and the gospel were helpful as, as I was processing my own disintegration within myself and my own sort of wiring, you know, those distinctions really helped yeah. me breathe and to enjoy my faith and, and to function in the midst of what it means to be a human and to be a Christian human. So I I just think people would love these realities if they had the opportunity to slow down and really think about them and pray through them, you know? Yeah. 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 And it's, it's ironic too, because like a lot of people, like you said, they say, Oh, if you, 
if you start talking about all this grace, you know, all this Jesus loves you and forgives you stuff, then people are going to live these hedonistic lives and all this. <laughs> um, but the ironic reality is it's often it's the other way around that when you start telling people they have to live for the law and they have to, you know, show all this fruit and all these good works, they get so burned out that they give up and they say, what's the point? You know, I'm never, I'm going to hell because I can't stop doing X. So I might as well do X, Y, and Z. You know, I'm going to hell all the same, right? Like it, it, like that discouragement that gets in there. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. And the other interesting thing too, is in those spaces where people are more accustomed to trying to function at that Ivy league level sanctification, Mm -hmm. that's what I call it. Yeah. Um, what they end up doing is lowering the bar and uh-huh. sort of pretending that they're actually functioning on this Ivy league level sanctification. When in reality um, they're still struggling just like the next man. And they're just not free to be honest about it. They have no safe place to confess it because they have to maintain that image that I'm functioning up here. My affections are ever growing and aligning with God's and I am you know, becoming more and more holy day by day. And I, and I, and I, we should certainly strive for those things. But in reality, sanctification is not this upward climb on a ladder. Sometimes it's a fragmented up and down mm-hmm. experience. And uh, Lutherans yeah. are, I think, the best at being honest about that and uh, helping people work through those things. What, what drove you to Lutheranism to investigate it and then to dive in? Yeah. Great question, bro. Um, let me see. Can you still see me on the camera? Am I still good? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You're good. <laughs> um, really it was, um, it was a fluke. Uh, I literally was not seeking it out. It was a friend of okay. mine who was at a reformed seminary in California and both him and I are from St. Louis and he was considering going to seminary to continue his studies And one of his Reformed Baptist professors was like, hey, if you're going to St. Louis, make sure you go to Concordia Seminary, because I feel like they have a superior church history program. So he was like, "Okay, good to know. So then he reached out to me and was like, hey, bro, my professor told me I should consider Concordia. Maybe you should, too, because I know you're thinking about going back to seminary. So I was like, yeah, I'll check it out. I, I think I remember that school. So, yeah, I just I scheduled a meeting to visit the campus. And the whole time I was touring the campus with um, a gentleman by the name of Dr. Bodie. And I'm just talking his head off about John Calvin, how amazing John Calvin is, how much he saved Christianity. And uh, it was so funny. (laughs) I mean, he was just humoring me, bro. Like he just let me go on and on about uh, John Calvin. And, uh, you know, so I mean, eventually he did. You know, he didn't want to burst my bubble, but he kind of let me know, right. like, yeah, well, we, we think a lot about Luther here as well. You know what I'm saying? So he's a nice guy. <laughs> but then I had I, I fell in love with the campus. I was able to sit in on one of the classes. And uh, so I decided, man, I want to become a student. So I had to test into the graduate program. So they sent me the material to study. And that's when it all happened, bro. I was like, wait, um, 
the Lord's Supper, they're saying Jesus is bodily present in a bread and a wine. I'm like, that's weird. And then I kept reading about baptism. They're talking about baptismal regeneration. I'm like, that's weird. And then infant baptism. I'm like, is this book upside down, bro? I'm like, <laughs> these are strange ideas. Like, where are they getting this stuff from? <laughs> and uh, I literally was, but but it was justification by faith that pulled me in. Mm-hmm. I was like, but I do agree with that. Well, let me just see what's to learn here. So after I tested mm-hmm. in, I just sat and soaked. I didn't say much. My entire two years in the program, I just sat and soaked. And then a year after I graduated, mm-hmm. I took time to read through the material, pray, have dialogue with others. And it, after a year of studying outside of the academic environment, I said, man, I, this is in the Bible. I can't ignore it. Yeah, I, could, I can't unsee it. And that's when I became yeah. Lutheran. Yeah. And it, isn't it wild to like how much stuff is like, especially like sacramental theology. Yeah. I cannot explain to my non-sacramental friends. I can't explain it where we'll be reading a Bible story and I'm like, Oh, that's about baptism or that's about the Lord's supper. And they're like, how do you get there? And yeah. I'm like, dude, like once you see it, you can't unsee it. Right. Like it's <laughs> so true, bro. It's there. And you know, what's so fun. It's fun going back to old commentary sets that I used to refer to for insight. Mm-hmm. So one in particular, I won't say the person's name, but I went back to a popular reform study Bible and I read the commentary on first Peter three, 20 and 21, where it says baptism now saves you, which corresponds Mm -hmm. to Noah and him and his family being saved through the water. Right. Mm -hmm. So I went, I said, let me just see for kicks what was said here. And uh, the commentary said, baptism is so close to salvation. Peter almost (laughs) makes it as if it itself saves. And I was like, this is hilarious, bro. The mental gymnastics, the dancing around. (laughs) Well, and like how much, how much of that too? Like when you, you talked about how like a lot of times people have spent so much mental energy on this theology that they have, like, and a lot of that has to be squaring circles, right? And making things fit that don't, you know, that it's hard to just, but like, I mean, dude, the Bible just makes so much more sense to me now. It does, right? Like, I don't. It does. It's just like I could just read it. <laughs> it you does. know, that's so true. And that's the that's the thing that I when I talk to my reformed friends, I'm like, okay, so the Bible. What Luther used the phrase, the perspicuity of the text, the simplicity of the text, mm-hmm. and that's such a reality. There's a simplicity to what's in front of us on the page, but when you're when you're twisting your mind to move into a reform way of thinking, and I'm only harping on a reform because that's my background, but I still love mm-hmm. those brothers and sisters. We have great friendships still established. So I want to just say that. But one of the things I tell my friends in that space is you've done the mental gymnastics over the years and you've actually made things more complicated that the simplicity of what's in front of you seems difficult. So yeah. That's the humor behind it to me is it's so funny how you can go to a text like Ephesians 5, verse 25 and following where Paul says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church who gave himself up for her to sanctify her, to wash her in the water and the word Mm -hmm. to present her without blemish or spot or wrinkle. Right. So. 
that text clearly is talking about how Jesus has washed the church with the water and the word. But our training makes us see that as saying husbands should love their wives by washing them in the word. So the mental gymnastics actually Mm. made the more difficult thing seem simple. But when you follow the pronouns, Jesus is talking about how he cleanses his church, how he presents his church without spot or wrinkle. And it's like, wow, I just, I, I just totally messed this text up. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But it's, you're you're trained into it as a, it's just something that happens. And um, so anyway, that's part of the task now that I enjoy is, is really just walking people through the Bible. Let's slow down and let's just see the plain meaning Mm -hmm. of this text. Put our presuppositions to the side, our biases, Let's just see what's there. And I'm finding that most people are like, wow, that was helpful. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's just, just what it says. Right. Like this, my, my favorite thing is, um, all of the, I was talking to a friend of mine about why he hasn't baptized his kids yet, you know? And, uh, I was like, bro, just let me know. I'll come over. We'll get a cup of water. We'll get the thing done. (laughs) It's fine. And uh, we were talking about it. And for every, like for every verse on baptism that you bring up, the response is always with like a verse about faith. Yes. And it's like, okay, well, we're not, we're not talking about faith. We're talking about baptism. So like, (laughs) let's look at verses that talk about (laughs) baptism. Oh, well, this verse is talking about justification. Okay, that's great. But we are still talking about baptism. And I don't know. So they do that thing. And then the other thing they do is when you get to a baptism text, people from outside the Lutheran tradition are so quick to take the word and and like make such a huge mountain out of the word and like, oh, you have to repent. And then you believe it. It's like, okay, well, it doesn't say and then, it just says and. Like they're like they're this, they're together. Like they're together. Yeah. The yeah. repentance and the baptism, they're together. Yeah. You know? That's so true, bro. Those are two <laughs> big ones. And I, I think the the goal is, at least in a reformed Baptist world and Calvinism in general, one of Calvin's soapboxes was idolatry. And mm-hmm. um, so there's this looming threat always that you're going to make an idol out of something, which is, which is a biblical concern. So I'm not Mm -hmm. demonizing it, but my point is if you now make the Bible compete with itself, as opposed to seeing the Bible says things about faith and baptism, the Bible is, it does not contradict itself. These passages aren't at war with one another. The goal is to harmonize them to see how they work Mm -hmm. together. So you know, so you don't have to pit this text against the other. So my thing is when you, when you notice in the scriptures, um, you know, the multiplicity of ways that God delivers his gifts, you don't have to Mm. reduce Christianity down to this one thing. And people are are so afraid that you're going to glorify baptism more than Jesus, or you're going to idolize baptism more than Jesus. So they think these things are threatening to Jesus himself. So, so it's, it's trying to help people remove that default response to 
Or you're going to make an yeah. idol. You're going to you're going to you're going to glorify water over Jesus. You're going to glorify bread and wine over Jesus. And it's like, no, these are things Jesus himself established. So you, you can't be more concerned about it than Jesus. If he deemed it as a good thing to give us so that we can have this comfort, this assurance, this peace along the way. You can't place yourself a judge above him and then determine it's safer to ignore these things or to dismiss them because now you're making mm-hmm. yourself a judge over Jesus. And Jesus, at the Great Commission, wow. he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And what I'm doing with that authority is, I'm telling you, baptism is how I'm going to comfort and make disciples yeah. and save and keep and then he goes on to say, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And that's still in a through line of what it means to be a disciple, which is through baptism and his word, his teachings. So they yeah. all work together. They, 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 they are gifts from Jesus. They don't compete with Jesus. He established them. And that's what right. people, I think, would benefit from having conversation around that. No, Jesus, he wants us to have these gifts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you, and then well, this like, is a rabbit trail. I'm sorry. I was no, it's say, good. The last thing I was going to say was, um, if, if, if Jesus wants us to have these things, um, I almost forgot my thought. Basically, if Jesus wants us to have these things, then, um, we should want them. If, if, if you have a hundred dollars and someone says, Hey, here's an extra hundred. If they are giving it to you with no strings attached, Clear-minded person would say, "Thank you," as opposed to right. "Stay away. I don't need any uh, any more money." <laughs> I already have a hundred dollars. <laughs> I already have a hundred dollars. <laughs> it's like that's weird, bro. But if Jesus says, <laughs> "Here, here's justification through the preach word." Uh, I mean, here's a here's a gift through the preach word. Here's a gift through the written word. Here's a gift through the visible word, the sacraments. We should be like, "Amen, amen, yes, thank you, yeah. thank you." Thank you. So that's it. <laughs> well, and, and so like you, you were talking about people are worried. Um, oh, it's gonna, you're gonna like overshadow Jesus, you know, with this. Yeah. We had uh, someone at our church who went to a, a, a different church. It was an LCMS church, mm-hmm. but he heard the pastor say something along the lines of uh, the pinnacle, the pinnacle of, I don't know if it was the service or Christianity or something, yeah. but the, the pinnacle of all that is the Eucharist. And the guy was like, he was like, man, that's so upsetting because the pinnacle should be like the crucifix, the crucifixion and the resurrection and the forgiveness of <laughs> sins. And, you know, it should be Jesus himself. And my pastor was like, yeah, but I mean, you can see how it's all <laughs> like how they're all like tied together. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, it should be the gospel, but like the Eucharist is the gospel delivered to you through bread and wine. Baptism is the gospel delivered to you through the water and the word. The preaching is the gospel delivered to you through the pastor and his vocation as prophet and priest right over you. And it's just, I don't know, man, like you, we say like, oh, we're worried it's going to overshadow Jesus, but it's like, no, this is. These are all the ways Jesus comes to meet you through the water, through the bread, through the wine, through preaching, through the absolution. It's all Christ for you, you know? So true, bro. So true. And, you know, (laughs) it's just, yeah. I mean, I I do think there's a spiritual warfare to it all. I think we have Mm -hmm. an enemy that opposes the gospel. And um, 
you know, and then I think it's being underexposed because the people that handed mm-hmm. Christianity to us in the Americas were very intentional to keep these things at bay and to burn yeah. the books, so to speak. So, yeah. and, and the, the, the thing about God, he's very kind, he's very gracious. So he's done so many good things with American Christianity that it's hard for people to have a vision for another expression of Christianity. So they'll yeah. look at what their church is doing on a pragmatic level. They're doing ministry to the, you know, the inner city. They're feeding the hungry. They have prison ministries. They're taking mission trips. They're doing so many good things. They preached a sermon that only highlighted Jesus's death on the cross and resurrection. And people got saved. And those people matured in their faith. And now they're serving in the local church as a church worker. And they all they have so many good reference points for what God has done through their style of Christianity that to imagine Christianity any other way seems unnecessary and almost competing. So, so I I realized the weight of that and the emotional and psychological component to letting something else into your imagination and your vision of what God is doing. It could be, it could be scary for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And um, so I always respect that. I try to tread lightly in terms of not crushing the work God has done in those spaces, but also helping people to realize that the larger portion of Christian history and the majority of Christian on Christians on the planet think differently than you. So it's okay to come outside of your echo chamber and to hear how other Christians think about these things, because actually you guys make up the smallest percentage of Christians in the world and that have ever existed. So I think it's healthy at least to consider, man, maybe you look around and you say, Oh snap, it's only 10 of us. And it's like, not to say that the majority of a thing makes it right. Cause you know, history shows that that's not necessarily the case, but the point is, our brothers and sisters who who nurtured Christianity off of the heels of the apostles, yeah, I mean they they thought differently about these things, and and sixteen hundred plus years moving forward and counting, yeah, the the the, the scriptures and and church history is on our side, bro. Well, and I mean that's like that's my thing. Like when I talk to, so I'm I grew up in a Pentecostal church, and we were like big dispensationalist pre-tribulation talked about the rapture all the time. Yeah. And like, that's like my big thing is like, look, I'm not asking you to be some like amillennial give up on all that you believe right now. But like just the fact that no one believed the thing you believe until 196 years ago, (laughs) like that's like, it should at least like give you some pause, right? Like you should, (laughs) you should at least stop and think about that. That's true. (laughs) <laughs> for a minute, you know? Yeah. So like, I don't know, man. Like I, I like John Wesley. Great. Good. God bless him. Good <laughs> theologian. Yeah. But like, I'm going to trust Polycarp a bit more. Yeah. You know, and it's like, I, I don't know. It's, <laughs> you're right. Like it's not just because most people believe it or like, just because it's been happening the longest doesn't mean it's necessarily correct, but like, you should at least think about it. At least. At least. At least. Yeah. No, that's, that's, and a lot of it goes back to something you said earlier, just the social pressure, right? You Mm -hmm. know, you got friendships, you have um, partnerships with different organizations and 
So that social pressure is there. And then a lot of people have financial commitments. So if you've yeah. made your living and your vocation as a pastor or a college professor or something like that, it, it's almost unthinkable for you to be in your 40s or 50s and you've built your family around this financially. What are you mm-hmm. going to do if now you become a thinker outside of that space? Then you got to tell your institution you shifted. Then you got to make give your one month's notice. Now you can't teach yep. or preach anymore. So the implications are weighty. And, um, you know, so I, I certainly understand and I respect those things. And um, you know, I don't want anyone to do anything uh, hastily or make a rash decision. decision. Just, you know, if at least you can um, <laughs> just see it in the scriptures and then pray through it. Uh, have an open and honest discussions about it. And I believe the Lord will, he will provide through mean other mm-hmm. means as you are following him and and trying to be honest about yeah. what's in the scriptures. So I, I, I know it's, it's weighty. It's, it's a big, act. It is. it's a big, it can be, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you know, um, I was going to like jokingly be like, Oh, I want you to make the hasty decision. Just go for it. But I mean, really though, honestly, if someone is there, if they are struggling with that and it's like, you know, all this makes a lot of sense, but if I jump ship, you know, my wife's going to be upset. I know I I've been preaching at this church. I can't just stop or whatever. Uh, I at least want to let the, those people know if you're in that kind of position uh, that at least we're praying like for your courage mm-hmm. and that, you know, you'll, you'll do the, you know, God will support you. You'll do the thing, you know, when it comes down to it and yeah. and God is there. Yeah. Amen. Um, For sure. Amen. And I'm, yeah, I've already had, I mean, I have a, so many stories, bro. You have no idea. So many good stories about, like I said, influential pastors, professors, and, and all the way down to lay persons who are contacting me like, bro, I've never seen this. I have a PhD. And yeah. in theology, and I've never been confronted with this. So I, I have a lot of stories that I'm thinking about now. One in particular, a pastor actually did have the courage to confront his team and, and the people in the leadership and say, hey, just want to be honest with you all. I've just been working through these things um, after hearing Flames Project Extra Nose, and I've taken time to just research it on my own. And I'm being convinced by the scriptures that these things are wow. there. And yeah, so he's going through the process now of walking it down and enrolling into a Lutheran seminary to figure out ordination and how that would play out. So like you said, on a practical level, as you're practicing that courage, there are ways to transition and and show yourself faithful in the Lutheran space. So that's encouraging. So I'm in the AALC, um, not the not the LCMS. Gotcha. uh, Yep. Still in fellowship with yeah, the facts, facts. Uh But we uh, we had a guy. He was the vicar at our church, and great dude, wonderful guy. Yeah. But he was a Baptist, Southern Baptist, planted churches all over the world for the SBC, mm-hmm. um, Eastern Europe, and and America, and all over the U.S. and and. He's at this, he's at a church, he's grown it. He's really good about planning and growing churches. And so he's at this church that he's planted and it's, it's grown to a huge Sunday attendance and he starts reading his Bible and it just occurs to him. He's reading through the gospel and it just, oh, Jesus just says, this is my body. Wow. 
And like, that's it. It just clicks. And so he starts teaching this. Yeah. And uh, his leadership comes to him and they're like, hey, you can't. Like, this isn't what we believe. You can't do this. And he was like, guys, this is, I'm sorry, but like, this is in the Bible. Like, this is, this is all I can teach. Yeah. And uh, he ended up getting the boot and started looking around for like, well, where, where do, where do people believe this? And he ended up falling into Lutheranism and then finding his home in the AALC. Wow. Uh, But yeah, like it, I don't know, man, like that's, he's the only guy I know that he just straight up was like, look, this is, this is where we're at. This is what we're doing. And they were like, Hey, we're going to, we're going to kick you out. And he was like, that's fine. (laughs) Wow. That's fine. I'm not giving up on the truth. Amen. Amen. Big hat tip to him, bro. Yeah. yeah. I'm thinking of two other people right now who are going through a similar thing. One guy reached out to me and said the same thing. He was like, man, bro, I was reading through John six and um, (laughs) Jesus said some hard things yeah, and then he let it sit. Yeah. Like he didn't come up off of the mm-hmm. weight of it, because mm-hmm. if you know, and I'm like, yeah, right. Because if had he come back and say, I, I'm just saying, metaphorically speaking, then the right. people that turned away and thought he was crazy would have been like, oh, okay, that makes sense. We thought you were actually saying, you know. So right. anyway, yeah. So I'm thinking of a guy now who's a pastor, and he's trying to work through that. Like I want to teach this, so I'm, I'm praying for him, and I have another guy who I'm thinking about who went through the same process, just reading it. And it just sort of, yep. the Holy Spirit illuminated the text. And he's like, wait, this is my body. Like it says that, you know? So he thought he was crazy. So when my music started coming out, he was like, bro, you have no idea how comforting this is. Cause I literally yeah. thought I was losing my mind, bro. And I was like, you're not. You're, you're, you're gaining sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it feels, but it feels that way. I remember, I remember falling first headlong into reformed theology yeah. and then falling over into Luther after that. Like I just went from one right to the other. Yeah. And I remember the whole time. That's exactly what I was thinking. I am losing <laughs> my mind. This is not yeah. anywhere in anything I was raised. This is nothing like what I believe, yeah. you know, but yeah. <laughs> it's facts, bro. It is. Yeah. You know, so you're right though. I, I I'm glad you said that because that courage, you know, God will will assist you in and he will plug you with people to comfort you. So that's yeah. that's what I've been noticing is people end up finding each other, you know. I have no idea if the professor who was at that seminary is going through this and maybe in his mind he's sending people to this Lutheran right. seminary as as so some sort of vocation. He's sort of using his position to sneakily, I don't know, right? But I'm just saying it's right. how God providentially arranged those events. It seems mm-hmm. like that's what he's doing everywhere as people are groping and seeking for him and seeking for the gospel peace. God's doing it behind the scenes. So it's encouraging. Yeah. 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 Yep. I, uh, on a, in a similar vein, I'm, uh, I know I tagged you in this on Twitter. I'm writing a paper on, on baptism. Uh, it was one of my last classes at Liberty university for my undergrad. Oh man. And, uh, I, I used your album as one of my, one of my sources <laughs> for my paper. <laughs> but I'm like, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that I will put together enough of an argument here across 15, 20 pages, however long the it is that like at the end of it, this, this, 
who I know is a hardline Calvinistic professor yeah. will read through it and be like, okay, I've not thought of that. You know, that's, yeah, that's a point, you know, like I'm hoping that I can, yeah. you know, and then I think every paper you submit goes into the Jerry Falwell library. <laughs> so like maybe someone else down the line, down will the find line. It, yep. Know? Yep. It can happen, bro. It can definitely happen. And those seeds are planted too. So oftentimes yep. later it can come up and you're like, wait a minute. I remember hearing something like this. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yep. Uh, one plants, one waters. God makes the increase, bro. So that's I love it. that. But that's that's, that's awesome. the thing that's been encouraging to me overall is the usefulness of these realities. Because I think a lot of people feel like, what place does this have? Like they may feel yeah. they're in a healthy place right now. They feel that they are truly a Christian the lives are going well. They feel like their moral life is fairly decent and they they don't need any sense of assurance. They have some type of relic, maybe like a cross that they wear. That's like a physical touch point that reminds them of what Jesus has done for them. They frequent a lot of conferences to get that spiritual recharge. And mm-hmm. they've, they've kind of crafted a Christian path that helps them cope with the messiness of life. So a lot of people feel like, I don't, how is this useful? Um, But my appeal is always to, yeah, things are going well now, but when you have those, those moments, the dark night of the soul, or when, Mm -hmm. when life gets tricky and the gray areas arise and you're dealing with those doubts and you're dealing with those fears, most likely you're going to end up looking to yourself in some way, shape, form, or fashion. Mm. It's just, it's just our default. And yeah. um, when you're in that pit and you're hoping and you're reaching, um, God has already thought many steps ahead of you and has provided these supernatural ways in which he engages his physical creation to comfort the comfort us, to be present with us. And, and that's where these realities should serve you um, in, in one way among many. So that's why my appeal is right now you're okay, but life isn't always in this stage. So how mm. about let's consider it now. So when the ebb and flow of life happens, you're not caught off guard and tempted to leave Christianity altogether. So you know, let's sort of remove Christianity from just being um in our heads. Cause that's what the metaphors yeah. and the symbols it ends up reducing Christianity down to all, just reflecting and remembering. Let's, yeah. let's have communion to remember what Jesus did long ago. Um, yeah, you got baptized as an outward sign of an inward expression. Um, right. And now. Or, or worse, it, it reduces it to a feeling. Or feeling. Yes. Right. And, yes. Then, and then when those hard times do come you start thinking like, oh, I don't feel the spirit of God in my life. So I must not be, I must have done something to upset God. Yep. Yep. You know what I mean? And it's like, that's so hard, man. Especially because like the truth is like the exact opposite of that. Right. Like, cause what does God say at the the end? This is, this is the most mind blowing thing to me at the end of every major feast. Like there's like five major feasts in, in, in Leviticus or whatever. Mm-hmm. And at the end of every major like sacrifice, yeah, it always says, depart knowing you are at peace with God. Mm-hmm. 
right? And that's how all these big like sin offerings and guilt offerings, that's how all these things. And so here is Christ doing that for us, being the fulfillment of all of that for us. And now you're baptized. Paul says you're buried with him and raised to new life with him. You haven't done anything to upset God. Like even though you feel that way and life is hard, you are at peace with God. And like that is, it's, you got to be able to hold on to that. Thanks, bro. Ooh, that's good, man. That's really good. And, 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 and that frames the Bible in such a powerful way, you know, because to have it framed any other way, um, you, it, all roads lead back to s- sort of looking within or, or trying to detect your feelings, you know, mm-hmm. like all, and I'm not saying um, people are heretics, but all um, heresy, which is false doctrine or heterodoxy, which is off doctrine. They all lead to sort of a workspace or you looking within mm-hmm. to, to find or to sense or to feel something. And God yeah. wants to pull us out of ourselves and to, to gaze at him and what he's doing outside of us as everything he's done for us. Jesus, the God man, right? The eternal son mm-hmm. of God takes on physicality and does something. The bread and the wine, physicality, where Jesus meets us bodily and brings forgiveness and binds us together with himself and with one another. So we, there's, this, there's this unity that we celebrate even in the Lord's Supper. Um, that, mm-hmm. That's a beautiful reality. I think about the saints of old, those who are present with the Lord, how we're, we're bound together. And you know what I'm saying? That's just a sweet thing yeah. to, to contemplate. And then same with baptism. God uses water with his word and he nurtures us. He keeps us. And um, so, yeah, that helps along the way. And God already predicted our human condition in light of the fall and acted on our behalf. So I, I just hope people would be able to reframe the way they process Christianity so that in those moments when you're tempted to tap out, you have something outside of yourself to cling to, you know? Yeah. 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 Say la, say la. So real quick, I just, I want to, we're, we're getting near, near an hour here and that's about how long I go. And nice. I don't, I want to be respectful of your time, but Real quick, I got to tell you, on one of your albums, and you'll have to forgive me, I don't know which song or where. Are you good? <laughs> but you talk about, you you say this line about how if you deny, like, you know, the the finite cannot contain the infinite. And so Jesus can't be in the bread and wine. But if you say that, then like you're also denying the incarn- incarnation, right? Because like this is so finite. It you is. Know? It is, bro. And, I, I just want to say that's like the most brilliant thing I've ever heard, like theologically. <laughs> and I have used that in, in many discussions with Calvinist friends. Yeah. And it's it's a full stop kind of a <laughs> statement. You say that and they're like, like, just like it starts spinning. You know, they're trying to figure it out. Hey, bro. That's that's encouraging. Thank you man. for that. <laughs> no, that's encouraging. I, I inherited that myself in my training and it's helpful because um yeah oftentimes that's what happens we have these sort of catchphrases but when you mm-hmm. put when you push on them they 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 don't hold and um yeah. you know they really end up functioning as an enemy to other good things and that's what all either false doctrine or off doctrine 
it always poses as a way to defend a good thing, to protect a good thing. But as you go to the other extreme, you end up injuring other healthy things, you know? Mm. So you think of the early heresy of Arianism, where Arius was trying to uphold that God is one, which is a true statement, right? Hero Israel for the Lord thy God is one, Deuteronomy 6. But in his attempt to defend that, he ends up discrediting Jesus also being God. So Mm -hmm. so that's an issue when you start to say that the finite is not capable of the infinite. I get it. Calvin was trying to protect God and say God alone is God. And how can Jesus be present in something as mere and finite as bread and wine? So but it's like, wait, bro. But if you if you fight for that. And you go to that extreme, now you have problems with Jesus's incarnation, period. So you have to watch and guard against that. So that's just a caution. Yeah. And part of denying that too, right, is like your own pride, because no one wants to admit that little little styrofoam wafer that we get. You know what I mean? Like no one wants to admit that you're as finite as that little piece of bread. But like you are, you are for all the life and breath that you have in you yeah. like human beings, we are just as finite as that little piece of bread in comparison to the vast infinity of God. <laughs> you are dust. Yeah. You on. know what I mean? Come and on, like, bro. that's, <laughs> that's beautiful. So. Yeah, that's beautiful. And just, if I could close saying this last thing, one of the things that helped me was Luther's uh, statement that we should use logic and reason as a servant and not mm-hmm. a master. Because if you use logic as a master, it's going to turn on you and argue against Christianity, period. Mm. Logic will demand that there cannot be a virgin birth. So Mm. that's why we we use logic and reason because it's a gift from God and it helps us process ideas and to communicate to one another. But when it demands too much of us, that's when we say, okay, stay in your place as a servant Mm -hmm. and not a master. So a lot of these things that we're talking about now, we're following what's revealed as opposed to what makes the most sense, thinking about sense in a way that we do. So let's not use that principle in a way that functions as a, as a, as a master over us, but as a magistrate, as a servant, I think let's, let's go with what's revealed in the scriptures as opposed to what logic and reason demands, because it'll trick us out yeah. of our faith if we do that. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, man. Flame, thank you so much, man. Where where can people find you? What can what can people do to help support you? Yes, indeed. Um, so people can go to extranosacademy.com. So that's a hub for all things Flame and Extranos. You can sign up for my email list. Uh, you have the links to all of my music. It's available wherever music is sold and streamed. I'm all over social media. My merchandise is there. So you can purchase a, a coffee mug, a poster, a sticker, or a t-shirt. So I have all nice. those things available. Yeah. So just tap in. And then I have a podcast, Extra Notes Academy. So it's all over the digital platforms for podcasts and my YouTube channel, Extra Notes Academy. So yeah, tap in. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Flame, thank you so much for being here, man. Yeah. Thank you for your time, bro. This was fun. Encouraging too. Awesome. Yeah. God bless. Likewise.